Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Peter Klett, and this is the Pharmacy Podcast, Episode 1. For those of you that don't know me, I am the original guitar player for the band Candlebox. Back then, the band was on fire and the city of Seattle was alive. On this podcast, I'm going to talk about music, how I've written music, produced music, mixed music. We'll talk about my kids and family life living in Florida. I'm going to have guests on and we'll talk about their life and their musical tastes and we'll see what everybody's listening to. Welcome back to the Pharmacy Podcast. Uh, My friend Ronnie D is here. He is, in my eyes, a celebrity, but I guess you're a local, Yeah, as you say. I'm a local celebrity, however that works. Everybody knows and loves Ronnie. He's genuine, happy, goofy, and (laughs) what is it? Um, You're one of us, I'm one of you. Yeah, yeah, well, there's two kinds of people in this world. There's us and them, and you, my brother, are one of us. Thank you, you too. (laughs) And it's funny you said us and them, because I instantly think of Dark Side of the Moon. Of course. Which is one of my favorite songs of all time. So, again, um, Ronnie is well-known, and he also has a well-known father. I do. Uh, Yeah, you want to tell me about that? Yeah, I I grew up uh, in the beautiful shadow of my dad, Joey D, who had two number one hit records in 1962, his band Joey D and the Starlighters, uh, and that made me able to have a fantastic uh, fairy tale childhood, and got indoctrinated right into the family business at 14, and been playing music and writing songs and producing and just whatever I could do in the music industry since then, and that was a long time ago. A long time, and <laughs> you have been um, <clears throat> you've been on the stage since you were how old? 14 was my first paid gig. Right. So before that, a little bit, they dragged me out there. But being in a musical family, you started playing instruments at what, five, six years old? Or oh, did probably, you even care? My mom would make a joke that I was would move in time to the song while I was in her womb. I would kick, <laughs> right. I would kick with the jams. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, the instruments were always around. So they always had the whole garage set up like a rehearsal space in most houses I lived in, and I could go in there and play around whenever I wanted. And that was up in New York, the Bronx? Yes, grew up in uh, New York in the Bronx and uh, moved back and forth to Florida a couple of times. So how would you deal with the summers in the garage? Oh, I I never minded the heat that bad. Yeah. I'm not, I I would rather not have the bone-chilling cold. The cold, yeah, nobody likes cold. But you're one of a kind because everybody down here is like, I'm melting, and you're like, oh yeah, bring it on, love it. <laughs> it is hot this summer, the hottest summer ever, but yeah. I just, I remember shoveling snow. Oh yeah. I know you did it. So, Not really though, it uh, was more like just hiding from the rain uh, in well, Washington. My frozen childhood in New York involved, if it was snowing, please let us stay home from school. And then we would get to stay home from school, and I would have to go to all my families to to shovel, to Aunt Paula and my grandmother and my <laughs> right. sister Jamie and and so on. So by the time I was done shoveling my family, all my friends had made money 
shoveling for strangers, and it was over. And you're Italian, right? Yes. And so it's kind of like Italian families, like you go take care of grandma. And, yeah, it's a and village. Betty kind of yeah, thing, right? For like sure. Family is family. And... Prima familia. Yeah. <laughs> I got the tattoo. Okay, and sax- saxophone is your main instrument. Yeah, my dad is a saxophone player. Um, oh, I thought he was just a singer. No, yeah, he's a really, well, he hasn't played in years, but he, okay. in his day, was a fantastic saxophone player. Nice. And I used to be able to carry his saxophone in from the van gotcha. when he would get home from tour. That was like my job. When oh, I was you waited for him. Yeah, and I could barely carry it. I probably dragged it on the concrete <laughs> uh, in the case. And then I would open the sax case to kind of let it air out. And it would be in his bedroom against the wall near the closet. The sax case would be open, and this gleaming magical Excalibur that my father, <laughs> yeah. you know, toured around and, sure. and made people happy. It was magic to me, and I wasn't allowed to touch it. So maybe that's why I was enthralled with that thing, because he would let me carry it in. Okay, open the case, and now don't touch it. Right. So yeah, I wanted a saxophone so bad. Was it anal? Like, don't even get fingerprints on it. Uh, no, not that bad. But he, it, those are fragile instruments. So and how, he did not want me grabbing it. Excuse me. How long was he gone at, at a stretch? Oh, man. And we're talking 50s, right? No. Well, when I was a kid, it was the 70s. And, um, when was your dad born? What year? 37. 37. So his heyday, my... when he was working hard, was like 1955. Uh, he got famous in 60, late 60s, 61. They got their big break. 62, they were... Top of the world, six top ten hits. Uh, the Beatles opened for him. Were all they writing, kind of... or was it uh, other people's? He wrote. Yeah, they wrote a lot of their songs, but they also did covers. And and sure. how it worked back then was, uh, the producers were in with the writers, were in with the record companies. So they all oh, yeah. would uh, glom on and and have their name on it. So they said, oh, I'm, I want you to cut these tracks for us too. I just listened to Ted Templeman's book. Uh, on him. He's fantastic. They were talking about the same thing. It was in-house. Yes. And you like go through a, a catalog of songs and this artist is going to cover this song mm-hmm. and it's my buddy's song over here. You yeah. know, maybe not that brutal, but you know, it was... In my dad's day, it was. Yeah. You know, they were trying to make money and they even have where the head of the record company put his grandchildren's name as writer's of my father's song as like a gift to his grandchildren. Right, and you, I'm going to do this because you're on my label, and if I, if Correct. you don't let me do this, then I'm not going to promote it. Yeah, or... then you're out. Oh wow! It's all in my dad's book. Check his book out. <clears throat> That's right. What's um, that called again? It is called The Peppermint Twist Chronicles That's by right. Joey D. Um, but I had a great childhood growing up. I mean, I got me to too. be in the band, um, and I got to be as musical as possible and see that being a, a musical journeyman, so to speak, because my dad kind of lost his fame for a while. It was not cool to be him in the late 70s, early 80s. Oh, especially the 80s. Yeah, especially the 80s, uh, until it all started, uh, the 50s and 60s started to make a comeback. Sure. Um, but I got to see that uh, a great example of a guy and uh, my mother was in the band. My brother was in the band. My uncle was in his own band. I mean, it's a musical family. Uh, could live a happy life without being a rich person or being a super famous person sure. as a musician. A lot of guys hate that. Uh, 
you know, they quit music because they didn't make it to be famous and that's it. And now I'm like, I'm an accountant, which nothing wrong with that. Sure. But I got to see that you can be an artist and a musician and, and express yourself and, and, you know, make money. Yeah. It's tough now. Yeah. I tell people all the time and they're like, God, you're so negative. But I'm like, I would never want to try to be a band now. Oh, it's got to be way harder now than it was in the 80s and it's 90s. It's impossible. Everybody can put their music online. Yep. And so you have a billion things to choose from, whereas back then it was you have the records that you're being that are being promoted to you. Yep. And that's all you knew because there was no internet to go look. I hear Maybe that. Maybe magazines you could read about something, but that was still probably the label I found stuff like that. And I bought stuff just from interviews in magazines i bought stuff just because the album cover looked cool right you know oh yeah uh, oh dude warehouse records yeah. was um closing down and i just went in there because cds were like two bucks three bucks and i started grabbing things based off the cover yeah as a matter of fact i got muse one of their records i can't even remember the name of it but nobody knew who that band was and yeah. i grabbed this record and i was like oh this is really cool you know and i showed everybody this record and they're like who what you know and then yeah. all of a sudden bam i bought the fishbone tape truth and soul because of a uh magazine article where someone mentioned fishbone and then I saw their picture, and I was like, whatever that is, I'm buying that. <laughs> yeah. And then I bought Infectious Grooves uh, just Wait, based on the album cover. Who's that? Is that them? Uh, no, Infectious Grooves had guys from Suicidal Tendencies. Oh, okay. But they made Separate kind of their bands. funk rock a version sure. of it. Were you ever into, like, Maggot Brain and all that stuff? Yeah, I listened to some of those what things. What was yeah. Maggot Brain? That was, that was, was Parliament Funkadelic. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, those are beautiful records. So I records. just bought the uh, Miles Davis Bitches Brew record. The other classic day. of all classics. Just love it. Yeah. You can get lost. Doesn't even matter where you put the needle down. No, it's it's brilliant all the way through. So now, circling back to what you were saying about being a band today. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm about to pontificate. So <laughs> if you have any kind of uh, gospel piano, that put it in the background. <laughs> um, when we were coming up, and we're in our 50s now. We're the old guys, whatever. I don't care. I will battle you young cats any day. Bring it. Um, there was only so much you could do. So the world consciousness, so to speak, in free time and the world consciousness of what are all the things we have to do, there was a lot less to do. So the pie graph would look like eating, sleeping, sure. listening to music, right. appreciating art. There wasn't even music videos yet. Yeah. And not everybody even had cable. So a huge pastime to pass the time to get therapy, a hobby, um, was listening to music, yeah. actively listening with intent on listening to it. Sure. And we would sit there uh, and read the lyrics and the giant album and, you know. So now the pie is cut into so many more pieces. There's so many things you can do with, you know, doom scrolling, yeah. And how much that covers of our time. We all do it. We're all addicted to our phone. There's so many more things to do that music has now, uh, it's just less popular than it ever was. And now AI is taking In the over. sense of sitting down. Of things to do. It's an activity. Yes. And with TikTok and the ADD society right. that there is now, you know, uh, m 
I'll put on a song and my son will say, oh my God, I know that from TikTok, Dad, this is yeah. a cool song. And then he'll go, what is this? And I'm like, well, that's the bridge. Right. He never heard the bridge. Yeah, well, what yeah, is this yeah. part? Well, that's sure. the guitar solo. Right. Um, so everything is so cut up uh, and the pie of what humans do to pass the time is sure. cut up. So our uh, vocation and our career and artists in general and uh, across all medias, our, our talent has been devalued to the point of, like you said, oh my God, I would never want to be in a band now. It's impossible. Um, but with that being said, there's them and there's us. And, the, and people like you, people like me, we are infected beyond any power that we have over ourselves to do this. Yeah. I make music because I have to. You know, uh, It's my therapy and it's what I do and it just comes out of me and I think in those terms. Um, How if often I, do you get burned out on it? Oh, all the time. I, sometimes I'm out of notes. You know, I'm just like, oh, enough music. I'll just sit in the silence. Not even just like you've burnt yourself out on a session or a song, but like in life, just like oh yeah, I'm. I I get to the point sometimes where I'm just like, I just I'm just gonna go get a job. And oh, then yeah. I'm like, well, what the hell am I going to do? You know I, what I mean? I've I, run around that circle a million times. Yeah. I've I've uh, filled out all the paperwork to get a telemarketer job. Right. Uh, I have stood there in front of Home Depot and wondered how much are they going to pay me to collect all these carts and bring them in. Uh, and every time I just I rely on that mustard seed of faith that I got blessed with being able to do this uh, whether I do it good or not I'm just I'm able to um, and I I have to appreciate my blessing and not disrespect the whatever I was born with as far as a pedigree of having a musical family or the talent right. or the amount of oh you're so talented I practiced man so hard oh. and I still do um, so I, I don't want to disrespect the art the blessing of it all and I do remember and not do it you know <clears throat> hours upon hours upon hours in my bedroom yeah playing the guitar had to do it just soloing to the radio so I could figure out where the notes go yep I used to play so much they would beg me to stop yeah Please. I used to open my window and play concerts to my neighbors oh, <laughs> one nice. time I had this I not she must have been exhausted because she was a big lady and she lived directly behind us, and she had to walk all the way around the block, <laughs> up our hill, beautiful, into our house. Granted, nobody's home. She literally just walked in the house, walked upstairs, opened my bedroom door, and was like, "Turn it down." Oh, that, that's <laughs> a video. Around. I was terrified. I was like, "What are you doing in my house?" Did you know who she was? No, I knew she lived behind <laughs> us, but I'd never met her. A total stranger. Yeah. Okay, so. You've been in Florida for how long? Uh, this time since 97. 97. Okay, so in the 90s, you were in the Bronx. I No, I, I went back and forth a few times. So I uh, was in the Bronx until the middle of 1989. And then my parents said, we're moving to Clearwater, Florida. You can stay in the New York sure. if you want, or you can come. And I was like, Mommy, yeah. I'm coming. <laughs> um, I was in my dad's band, uh, 200 dates a year-ish, and nice. I wanted to keep that going. Did you ever go to Europe? Uh, a few times, yeah. Cool. Um, and uh, we moved down here, and I 
said to my mom kind of in an offhand way because I was writing and recording and doing all those things as a kid. What about a couple of the band members don't want to move to Florida? What about if we fire all these old dudes and we hire my what my band will be? Right. And I promise we'll we'll wear the tuxedo and sure. we won't we'll wear eyeliner and yeah, you know yeah. all the stuff we wanted to do in the late 80s. Yeah. And she went with it. She went for it. So I got to hire which my mom helped me cuz she was my guru on all this stuff. Uh, we hired all guys to be in my band, which was fantastic. And then uh stayed in Florida. I had a band around here called D-Force. Right. We Won all the awards in the local like arena. The best band. Yeah, all the that. In the band. Florida Music Awards. And uh, with the. And what year was that? 91, 92, 93, 94 with Marilyn Manson and uh, yes. all the Florida bands we yeah. were kind of lumped in I with. I remember doing festivals with Manson. Yeah, that was cool. And he was, when he was uh, in the Spooky Kids, was the first band, Marilyn Manson and the Spooky Kids, you know. We share dressing rooms, and they're just cool people. Yeah, it's not all that monstrous personality; yeah, right. just a dude. Yeah. Um, but uh, I ended up moving back to New York in '95 uh, to be in a band that had a record deal that was based out of New York. And then when that band fizzled, and that was which what band? Love Junkies. Sweet. It was beautiful. We went on tour opening for King's X. Oh, I did a show with King's X. So awesome! And those guys are super, it's really nice. wonderful. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been starstruck that many times in my life, but Doug Pinnock, I had a bit of a starstruck oh, yeah. thing. Well, he walked right up to me at Soundcheck and was like, "Hey, man, good to have on, good to have you on the show. We got your CD on the bus, and we've been rocking oh, out cool. to it. You sound good, man. Yeah. Sing with soul." And I was just like, <gasps> "And Ty, the guitar player, was." I never talked to him once. Yeah. Well, I don't remember if we talked either, but his tone—he was unique. Oh, clean and dirty at the same time. He had. Uh, Fender Twins, and he had, it wasn't Marshall's, but it was like a trying to be Marshall's. Right. Oh, I forget what his brand was, but. What, his own amp? Yeah, his oh, amp. Oh, he that, created one? That he, nah, he had, it looked like two stacks, but it was not Marshall's, I don't gotcha. think. It was a, a different brand. Bogner that he was, or something. Maybe Bogner. Yeah. And so how many shows did you do with them? Oh, I don't know, maybe a dozen shows or whatever. We just drove behind their tour bus in our little crappy van. Yeah. But then um, moved back to Florida. And been here since 97. And you're not going anywhere. You no, here. I live here now. Yeah. And you've got your family. Yes. The tree has... Dad's still here. Yeah. Dad is still here. And, and our, our tree has got deep roots here and has grown tall and wide to give a lot of people cover. And I don't right. want to leave it, you know? I can't believe that I have been here almost 11 years. It goes fast. So let's go back to the Seattle thing in the early 90s. Which bands were that hit you the most? Were you like, oh my God, what is this? What, on the 90s? Yes, that when that came, when Nirvana yes. came out, where were you? Well, um, I was watching 120 Minutes right. uh, on my couch after a gig, and we would have the, hey, let's go over to my house and listen to the tape because we would try to record all the gigs mm -hmm. with our four track mm -hmm. just to hear what we did. Um, 
and we saw Smells Like Teen Spirit video, and we all just sat there with our mouths open. We're like, holy crap, we yeah. don't have to dress up anymore. Right. But now rewind, we at the time, I just, I wanted to be hair metal. I wanted the big hair and the- Well, Alice in Chains were hair metal in the early days. Yeah, Mother agreed. Love Bone agreed. was hair so looking we, metal. We had that style. Right. And then we heard Guns N' Roses. Sure. And saw Guns N' Roses, and I was like, wow, this isn't, like, corny. And that was 87. Yes, and that, so the Guns, when when I saw Welcome to the Jungle video, I was like, I'm never doing my hair up with hairspray again. I don't have to do that anymore. Right. Then right shortly thereafter. Wait uh, a minute, wait a minute. Welcome to the Jungle, a Axel had the big poofy hair. And then after that. In the video, at times he doesn't, though. Gotcha. And we were just into that, like we were like, "Oh man, we yeah. could be ready in five yeah. minutes instead just of an walk hour off now." The street. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, and then the uh, Nirvana that just totally blew our minds. And I, I remember at did it blow your mind? Though? It did. At first, me, I was, it was it I was, was pissed off about it, and I was like, "Nah, you know, oh, he sings out of tune. Oh man, that guitar's out yeah, of tune." Right. But then I was like, "What?" A great freaking song yes the song is incredible the melody, yeah. and then we heard plush by stone temple pilots like kind of in the same week and then we heard the pearl jam tunes it all it seemed like it was all in like the same month it it just exploded everywhere it was this grunge upheaval and then allison chains and it just it was like this awesome avalanche and i knew that i did not have to try to write anything uh, to try to beat, get, oh, don't boys get to the chorus. I mean, yeah. all the rules that we were trying to sound like uh, Poison and White Snake and sure. White Lion and all those. Warrant. Yeah, we we wanted to do those uh, formulas, but I was like, you know what? Let's just make the art that's in our heart. I'm just going to write the tunes, and yeah. we could be so all over the place. Down here, though, did did you hear? Do you know the song "Loud Love"? Oh yeah. Loud love. Yeah. So that hadn't quite hit because that was like one of the very first records released. Okay. It, it, down here. It was Nirvana is what really brought the attention, right? Yes. Yeah, so local radio here was into it. Yeah. And they jumped on hard. And at the time, we listened to the radio all day. That was the thing, you know? Uh, and Plush was huge. Nirvana was huge. Uh, Plush by Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah, yeah. Allison Chains, Man in the Box was huge. Wicked Garden. Yeah. But they were kind of after, weren't they? I remember, because Purple came out in 94, so I guess that first record was 92. Yes, and the thing about it was, uh, Plush was the first song that I heard, and it was like, oh, this guy sounds just like the guy from Pearl Jam. That was kind of one of their yeah. gimmicks, that they were riding on the coattails yes. of Pearl Jam. But then you listen to that record, and subsequently we ended up opening for them. Okay. And in person, they really could do it. It was amazing. Um. Okay. So dead and bloated freaked me out when I got that. I mean, ah, ah, with the, yeah, his uh, sure. bullhorn or whatever uh -huh. he had. That was awesome. Yeah, it was. All right. So when Mike Deeb yes. said, hey, my buddy Peter mm -hmm. wants to come. He needs a place. Yeah. And he told you who, who I was. Yeah. Were you like, oh, cool. I love that band. Uh, yeah. I definitely, you know, it's like for us regular people that never achieved the amount of success that you achieved. I mean, you have to be able to accept the reality is it's impressive. 
you know, I'm a journeyman musician. I always, oh, I always wanted to be a rock star. You actually got to be a rock star. So it's freaking right. cool. Now, hanging out with my dad, who was a rock star in the 60s, and a lot of his friends, um, you know, I did gigs with Chuck Berry and, you know, I mean, super famous wow. rock stars. That's pretty cool. Oh, super cool. Um, but there's a bit of reverence that uh, you earned. So right. accept it. You know, don't yeah. be all Johnny Humble. Because <laughs> uh, you earned, and who wrote it, and who did it? Right. You. Yeah, I hear you. So, fast forward uh, to the first Candlebox I heard. It was far behind. It was on the radio here in Tampa so Bay. change or you hadn't crossed your... No, it was far behind was the first one I took notice of. And, I mean, you couldn't help but take notice of it. Right. Right there from the guitar intro... You're like, what? Yeah. Is this, this is kind of like, is this a Led Zeppelin thing happening here? Interesting. You know, it had a Zeppelin. That makes me happy. Yeah. I love um, it. And then singing right off the bat, he has a power and a soul to his voice. It It's a little, uh, he'll sing sharp sometimes. I'm sure you know that. Of course. But it wasn't in a bad way. It's kind of like the guy in the Black Crow sings a little sharp sometimes. There's a lot of guys that do it but have a handle on it. Right. Now, I know behind the scenes it must have been hard in the studio to rein it all in or whatever, but I, you know, it, it was, was infectious. Then, so there was no tuning. So that's that's all of us. That's him. That's Yeah. But I think um yeah, Kevin um <clears throat> I don't want to say southern rock. That's not right. Um but he has more of that blues rock Certainly. thing. Certainly. And he almost had a Soundgarden vibe to him also, which I was a big Soundgarden guy. Interesting. And he would get up to those high notes, and the tone was awesome. And then that song dropped into what I would always call like the Jimi Hendrix chord part. When it's, oh, now go. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, oh yeah, sure. Killing. And then it had the Guns N' Roses, wow, now, 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 kind of a thing. So there was so much to that song. Right. That uh, made it popular and that I loved it, but then you came out or it crossed my it radar. It was flipped, but yes, well, finally you heard you. I finally heard you, and that became my jam. Really? Yeah. I love that one. Yeah, the vibe of that in the rehearsal space, writing that, we knew there was something there. I think Kevin had said, write something in 6 8, and he had this bass line. Right. And it was like, Oh, it's in B. There's the B on the on the uh, G string, you know. Right. I, I don't know what to do really. So I was just fiddling. You know, Scott's playing the B, and I'm fiddling around. And then Kevin started singing. It was like, what? You no, know? that's beautiful. Yeah, so it, it came out on the radio here, flip flop. Then, okay. so I guess Tampa Bay saw how great. Uh, so they picked far up behind far behind was doing, and, and then they started to oh, pimp all the got? rest. So I also am a fan of your project with Terry. Lotus and, Crush. Yes, and I was super happy to be able to be your keyboard player, background vocalist uh, <laughs> for the it, event. For that event we did. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. was super cool. That Learning those songs and hearing that dude sing. Mm -hmm. Man, he's like uh, an angel and he's got this Gaelic, obviously, uh, and He's some Scottish. kind of medieval, uh, like he should sing the soundtrack of the next Lord of the Rings movie right. with that voice. I'm ready to write it for him. Yeah. And I have the perfect reverb, but uh, super impressive. What, like a voice made of gold. It, pretty much. 
Yeah. You know, he's got obviously his style. Um, but I mean, the thing about Terry is that you can put anything in front of him and he's willing to give it a shot. Yeah, no matter he's fantastic. What. Uh, and usually it's amazing. Um, the, we do have one uh, Rabbit Hole Deluxe record, which has a bunch of stuff, has a live record that we did that I mixed here. Um, so, yeah, Terry, it, it's unfortunate because he did The Voice, was a runner-up 2012, I think, on Blake's team. Um, you know, and, and we did The Lotus. And, like, again, it's so hard to be successful in a band these days yeah. that the poor guy's working a job. That guy should not be working a job. He yeah. should be singing at all times of the day. Agreed. Period. Agreed. And that's that's the evil of the music business. Hey, art, that's just how it goes to be an artist in general. You yeah. can't eat it. <laughs> well, do you have any other questions for me on the Candlebox side? I do. So... Tell me what your timeline was from this is the first time I'm playing in a band in high school or whatever to this is the first time I'm playing with the Candlebox band. Was that a two-year, four-year, ten years? And then from that first initial Candlebox rehearsal, how long till you signed a record deal? Well, that uh, was a long trip. You know, I started as a kid, learned how to play guitar, um, did uh, bands in high school, talent shows, got out of high school, was like, ah, oh, I'm gonna go to college, forget this, you know? And then I was like, nah, I have to try this. So I did, got into bands, you know, there was a, uh, it was the late 80s and it was the hair metal and the singer wanted to be Jeff Keith of Tesla and Steven <laughs> Tyler. Yeah. And the bass player wanted to be in Def Leppard. Yeah, of course you know, That kind did. of thing. And uh, funny, I had the song idea for Arrow, and I brought it to practice, and I said, here's a song idea. Oh, it kind of sounds like that stuff that's going on, and that stuff's not going to last. <laughs> and I thought, man, these guys are crazy. So I, you know, I left that. What um, year is this? Probably 89. Okay. I graduated 87. Okay. Went to college for a little while, community college, and then got back into it. Got in that band, got out of that band, floundered around for a while. I was broke, you know, trying to find the right people. But that previous band had introduced me to Kelly Gray. There you go. Kelly Gray introduced me to Scott and Kevin, ended up producing the first two records. We did a demo in 91 with a guy named Robert. I still have those songs. So graduated in 89. 87. Oh, 87. And then by 91, by you're making 91, a demo. By 91, I had met the guys and we're making a demo. Okay. 92, we made the other demo, the famous red the tape. The red tape, yeah. That has Far Behind and You on it. The real versions. The versions yeah. that were just remixed for the record because we re-recorded them and they weren't nearly as good. Couldn't get that magic. Yeah, it wasn't there. So that was 92, got a deal in 93, did the record, it came out uh, 93, and then we were off to the races. So now record label was Maverick. Well, we had other companies that were interested, and they flew us down to L.A., and we did a show at Club Lingerie, and I tell this all the time, like literally I had one guitar and one amp, and I broke a string. Perfect. It was 
not ideal. <laughs> I literally, while the audience was standing there, I changed that string and continued the song. Yeah, how what are you going to do? You got to uh, yeah, do it. I had to do it. There was a Seattle band called Green Apple Quickstep that was also being um, looked at by them, and they put us both in the same hotel. Nice. And we were like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What are you doing here? <laughs> and they picked us, which made us feel terrible because the guys, the people in Green Apple Quickstep were really cool people, mm -hmm. and we wanted the best for them. You know, right. I think they got picked up by Capital Universal. But, you know, um, that was that. It was a very quick rise to fame and people didn't like that um it's funny because i talked to kim thale at this rock camp that he did and i was a counselor and i said well why were they why was what was your deal what was you, what what did you think because i wanted to know like all these bands in the local area like what why was it such an issue and he's like i didn't have any issue at all it was more like, where did this band come from? Right. It was like you were not there, and then you were there. So how many shows did you guys play before the signing in Seattle? I mean, um, you weren't like on the local scene? A handful, scene. 15. Right, so these other guys had played 115 yeah, probably. Yeah, they those guys absolutely, Green River, Mud Honey. Yeah. Which Green River turned in mud. Mark uh, Arm. Mark Arm hates yeah. us. Never liked us. <laughs> he don't know what's good. But you know, um, Mother Love Bone came from Green River. Mm -hmm. Pearl Jam came from Mother Love Bone. Yep. You know, I've hung out with Jerry. Jerry from Alice in Chains, and he's. I've never had a bad word said from any of those people. It was the press that did right. it. Right. Um, you know, so I was. It was nice to hear Kim say that. It's like, I, nobody had a problem with you guys. It was just, we didn't know where the hell you came from. Right. You know, so that was cool. Who are these guys all famous all of a sudden from our neighborhood? Yeah, the yeah. only person that, you know, there were certain people that just didn't like it because they didn't think we earned our stripes. And I totally get it because we weren't in the grind. Like I said, uh, we owe a lot to those bands prior that came down and broke the wall and got the attention. Yes. There's about... no doubt about that. However, I spent years, years learning how to play the guitar and creating my own thing. Yeah. As well as the other guys in the band. You know, Kevin doesn't sound like anyone. True. I don't sound like anyone. If you heard him sing or me play the guitar, you would know it's us. Yes, certainly. That there's you can't buy that. Like that's just natural. And I'm sorry, but you know, we wrote great music that people loved and I'm sorry that your band didn't make it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I really truly feel that way. Yeah. But it's not as though we didn't deserve what we got. Oh, certainly. We just did. got it a little quicker. Now what happened with the whole Courtney Love hate fest that went on there? Well, she was a small handful of people that really despised us. She just didn't like us. She thought we moved to Seattle from LA or something, which we didn't. Right. Which I've said before. So uh, she came out in interviews and was bashing you guys. Yeah, she, I, I don't remember exactly which ones. But anyways, we got word of it and there was a local magazine called The Rocket. It was paper, it wasn't glossy, it was yep. just cool. Uh, we had those in, the, in every town, yeah. had the rock, the rock rag. So we all dressed up like Courtney Love <laughs> and did a picture for the cover of that magazine. Nice. And told our story. 
you know, and I think she saw it and was like, oh, okay, I get that. Okay, cool. And then him and her and Kevin were on the phone. I remember he was in the car talking to Courtney Love about something. And finally, I don't even know what happened. I don't really care. I personally found it annoying once in a while, but I really didn't care that people didn't like us because it didn't really matter. Yeah. Yes, I would have liked to have been accepted. Maybe it would have been better for our career. Um, but I don't, it didn't bother me as much as other people. Well, you just got to look at the ratio. Most people, like nine out of 10 people, loved it. So you have a record coming out, right? I do. And tell me about what you're doing now. All right. Um, you can find me on social media like everybody else. Ronnie D and the Superstars is the name of my band. Or just find me, Ronnie D, wherever. I got the Facebook and the Instagram. The name of the record that is out currently is called Dirty Rockers, which I was accused of a long time ago. You ain't nothing but a dirty rocker. You think you this, you think you that. I said, okay, good record name. And uh, that's my revenge. So... Uh, another record we're working on that's coming out that hopefully is going to be mixed by Peter Klett. <laughs> we'll see what happens on the Peter Klett production mix there. Yeah. And I also am super proud of our YouTube channel called Deep Inside the Music, where we explore the isolated tracks, we react to them, we're hanging out, we're just having a good old time. It's not a TED Talk or a college lecture. It's not a tutorial. It's a fun discovery of... Like you could just hear Robert Plant singing his vocals by himself or Alice in Chains tracks, which we are lucky that we got to have you as uh, our guest. So thanks for being on the show with us. Yeah, man. I'm doing all of them now. Yeah. He's our executive producer deep inside the music YouTube. Check us out. Yeah. And you've had some pretty cool people make comments on that. Oh, my gosh. Yes, we have. We had uh, we did Toto Rosanna. And Rosanna Arquette liked it and commented a little heart right. on there. Yeah, yeah. We've had Tommy Shaw and Lawrence Gowan of Styx uh, like and comment. We have had Loverboy share, and I think because they want us to do an episode with them. Really? Yeah. Wow. And I would. And hey, they absolutely. were just in town. That's a great band. Mike Reno is a great singer. And we just got invited. Uh, I don't know when this is going to come out, so it might have happened already, to go to... Hollywood, California, and be in the studio with Matt Wallace, the producer. He produced Faith No More Epic. He produced Maroon 5 and countless other platinum and awesome records. So we're going to go do our Deep Inside the Music show out in L.A. with Matt. And now speaking of other genres, you consider yourself a rock musician, I would imagine. Yeah, right. But when I listen to you play, you play with as much funk and as much soul as any funk and soul guitar player out there. I don't know if you realize it even. Uh, yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way. Well, you have that, and that's one of the appeals of your guitar playing is there's so much soul in there. Mm. So Feel. Yeah, you yeah, feel you. it, man. You got yeah. the soul. I'm actually doing a solo today, and my fingers, I don't play, and it hurts. Well, I got you... I got a blister already. You got to but... love it. That's what guitar players, uh, that's your cross to bear. True story. All right. Thank you for being here. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, click on all the stuff. Yes, true. And what's your uh, socials again? Ronnie D. Find me anywhere. And Ronnie D. and the Superstars is the name of the band. And, and the, the YouTube channel is Deep Inside the Music. I love it. It's now, cool. Now, where do we find you? Well, um, that's a good question. 
we're in the middle of <laughs> okay. switching over to a new studio. Um, but you know, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. Peter Klett Productions, all, all that right. good stuff. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon on the Pharmacy Podcast. 